Hello, and welcome to Movie of the Year, the only podcast on the internet with the science and the screaming to determine what is the single greatest movie, question mark, of any given year. My name is Ryan, and although this is Mike's season, um, we're still waiting for Mike to come in here and let the audience know that he preferred me to host. He prefers me to host every episode. The audience prefers me to hope, uh, uh, host every episode, but he said he really... Oh, Mike, you are... Ryan. Yes. Hi. Hi, bud. Audience prefers you to host an episode, not prefers you to hope to host an episode. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, was, I thought that you would still be out of the studio when I made my one and only mistake that I will make on this entire show. I sort of like Make-A-Wish style or a Tiny Tim. You said, hey, please, can I please host this one time? Mm-hmm. Oh, your season's so long and so good. I just want to be a part of it. So I said, fine. Fine, little buddy. This one's yours. Um, I have a question for you, Mike. Uh, we, this is sort of a surprise episode, not just for the audience, but for both of us. Why are we recording this episode? Uh, technical issues. Uh, eight are unfaithful. Our, uh, we did an episode on the 2002 movie, Unfaithful. <laughs> not uh, our unfaithful wives. Yeah. Uh, uh, to say like you're, unfaithful. you're eating the unfaithful is like Noah's Ark. Metal. You're, you're, you're causing a flood. Um, yeah, and... Uh, I remember my track was fine and Greg's track was fine. So your guys' tracks were fine. There was some crazy garbly gook that hours and hours of googling couldn't figure out, and talking to the biggest audio experts in the biz couldn't figure it out. So I'm sorry, Ryan, that sometimes things happen. No, totally. And I didn't get mad at you, but I don't know if you want to start the episode that we're making because of your disastrous uh, fuck up um, by talking about the mistakes that I make. I was just responding in kind to your weird attitude. Ryan, I thought you were tired, and this was going to be a nice, clean show. Uh, why don't we discuss the mistakes that your mother made about 30-some-odd years ago? Yeah, she didn't when you were pull born. out. <laughs> why? She's, why does she never pull out? Okay, Mike, um, we are a movie show, and on this movie show, as we dive into the year that we're doing, this year we're doing 2002, we talk about a lot of stuff. Uh, music is a big one. We do the Rushmore for Musicians of 2002. We do a mixtape. Um which is like a playlist. That's the term that most people use. Um, we talk a lot about television from the year that we're doing. There's one medium that uh, you and I are big fans of that I don't think we've ever talked about as far as movie of the year goes. Do you know what that is? The medium that we're fans of. Here, Fine do me a favor. Read the title of this episode that is on your podcast player right now. See what that says. On my podcast player? Yeah. Movie of the year... Hyphen 2002 colon fine art. Uh, okay, so you got a wrong one. No, you're listening to last week's episode. Oh. Um, what you should be looking at is this week's episode. It, it's about comic books. Oh, I like comic books. I know you do, bud. Um, on our sister show, the superhero, on our sister podcast, the superhero show show. I'll call it a podcast. So you don't want to say show so many times? Don't use the word show <laughs> Just so twice. many times in one uh, sentence. Um we actually don't talk about comic books that much either. That's a podcast based on, or that discusses TV shows based on comic books. But it's a comic book based on podcast based on TV shows. Well, the is thing is, two of our co-hosts have never seen a comic book IRL, so we couldn't do that. Or read a printed word. Look, it's not fun to make fun of the disadvantaged, but man, can they not read. I am making a claim right now. Now... I'm dropping this in your lap. I You didn't do any research. You didn't do any prep for this. Because um, that's going to be part of the game tonight. I'm making a claim that 2002, in the world of comic books, is one of 
the most instrumental, unforgettable years in the history of the form. I would say 1961, 62, like the start of Lee and Kirby's Marvel Universe. I would say 85, when things got dark and gritty. Mm -hmm. Um, And then 2002. Now, that's not something people ever say. I didn't even think that was the case until I prepped for this show. Before we get started, though, um, because we don't talk about this on any other podcast, tell me about your, not just your 2002, but your comic book career. Like, were you a pull list having every Wednesday guy? Were you a trades only? I, my relationship with comics has always, since I first found a Spider-Man on a spinny rack at a Wawa in suburban Philadelphia, and it was the and middle wa- of the Clone Saga. Wawa has to be what you guys call Walmarts? Like, what the fuck? You wouldn't just call something a Wawa. Wawa is a convenience store gas station chain, a la your 7's Eleven, but way better. Wawa's rule. Uh, and picked up a Spider-Man. It was somewhere in the middle of the eight-year Clone Saga, and even though I knew nothing that was going on, I still went, well, this is who I am. And since then, I've been on and off. I'll get hot and heavy for a couple years, then fall completely out for a few years. 2002, I was either in it or just about to get back in it. Because, yeah, I had a pull list in the early 2000s. They're Comic Unlimited. Comics Unlimited is a now defunct comic store. Let's get local. And they were so fucking cool, man, because I lived far away sometimes. So my pull list, I would collect every six months, and they were fine with that. They would let me use their trade paperbacks as if they were a library. There's a lot of reasons it's clear why they went under. They yeah. They were too cool. Um, I, that was also my store. Uh, I had a closer store where I grew up, um, but it was a third the size of yeah. Comics Unlimited. So when I was lucky, we got to go there. Uh, again, this is a store that was in Orange County, California, and is no longer there. So shout out to Comics Unlimited. Um, they had employees that resembled Comic Book Guy from The Simpsons, but mm-hmm. did not act like him at all. I didn't know the whole trope about how people who work retail at niche places like this are asshole gatekeeper motherfuckers. No, Carl and Co., if we're going to keep going niche, let's do it. Carl and Co. would be like, oh, you haven't heard of this? Oh, you you like Spider-Man? You probably also like Invincible. Like They, they were would ask you what you're generally in do and have eight recommendations right then. You said something funny earlier that I think mostly comic book readers only can relate to, which is you said, I was reading or I was about to read again. Because <laughs> that's sort of everyone's history or career with comic book reading, not even collecting, but reading, is mm-hmm. you will do it so hard for six months to two years, and then you will stop for five years, and then the cycle just continues like that. It's, it's baffling. The last time I stopped uh, was when Saga stopped, and I loved Saga. And I've gotten back in, and I know they're back, and I have not yet. Is comic reading's weird right now? I'm very into, uh, based on somebody's recommendation, Dan Slott's Fantastic Four run. Hmm. Um. And that's all digital, though. Yeah, because it's what, what is it? Marvel Unlimited. Marvel Unlimited. Whoa. Comics Unlimited. Marvel <laughs> Unlimited. Um. Yeah, I think that that for the most part, that's what people do is they download from an app. You know, either purchase or you know, pay like the monthly fee to get everything six months late or whatever it is. Uh, I can't remember the last time I bought a floppy issue of a single comic book. No, I bought a few trades recently. I'm also reading Something's Killing the Children, which is fucking dope. Is that Stephen King's boy? Oh, is it? What's it? I don't know. That's why I'm asking. I don't What's think it? so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, we'll have the research department on that. Um, 
so yeah, I, I don't remember exactly what I was doing in 2002 as far as comic book reading goes. I don't have my eras written down. But 2002 comics don't just go away at the end of the year. I, I think that 2002 was such a monumental year that people, whether you're reading in 02 or after, you went back and you caught up with what mm-hmm. happened in that year. Now, it's possible that if I had researched 2004 or 2001 or any other year, um, you know, there would be this many comics. I just don't think so. Are you ready to get started? I am ready. And it's by James Tinian the Fourth. Ah, yes. Who and Werther Werther Deladra. I don't think James Tinian is Joe Hill. No. <laughs> you can tell <laughs> I think by the different separate names. people. Um yeah, James Tinian had like a cushy job at DC and just like got tired of the bullshit. Like he was in charge of Batman and now is just doing his own thing, I think. His own thing is dope. He started doing that uh shit, what do you call it? Substack? Oh, yeah. I think a lot of writers and artists have gone to Substack where you just control not just the characters now they work, but also the distribution. You get it out. You don't need comiXology. You don't need Marvel or DC. A printing press. Okay. So oh, we're one of take these a- things Martin Luther was so into. He did have that dream. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, the comic books of 2002. Mike, I have a collection of uh, comic books here that I want to show you. Um, some of them came out a little bit before but 2002, but we'll uh, talk about their impact in 2002. I'm just going to show you. You sort of talk to me about what you see. Okay. Um, if you are watching this on YouTube, um, you can see the comic books too. But also keep in mind that we didn't post that on YouTube, had no intentions on doing that, and somebody has hacked our system. I'm so sick of this perv. Just stop sword fishing us. Like they're, they're catfishing, sword fishing sure. us. They're pasting each other's feet on each other's faces. It's it's all disgusting. Mike, what does this do for you? Oh shit! So this, I was wondering if that's what 2002 was. This is Ultimate Spider-Man number one, and this is yeah. I think like so many of us, what sucked us back in because somebody said. Hey, imagine there wasn't 60 years of continuity. And it is dope. I forgive so much of the garbage that the Ultimate Universe would churn out because of how great this entire run basically is. Uh, so this comes out in 2000. But on the ah. list on the list I looked at um, of like the 100 biggest comics or most important key issues is what they call them now. Um, from That came out in 2002. About half of them were Ultimate Spider-Man issues. Um, it's hard to explain, mostly because I wasn't there, so it's difficult for me to explain at all, um, the impact that this comic book had. Uh, a Spider-Man movie was two years away, mm-hmm. and for the first time in movie and comic book history, they actually did have that synergy where yes. people went to the stores and got it because they were jacked up on the movie, something that had never happened before and has not happened since. But man, they keep chasing it. Uh, this is Brian Michael Bendis, and I believe Mark Bagley was the original artist and the the two of them stayed on for like 160 issues or something uh so what is it it, it can't be the origin of peter Parker or spider-man because we've had that so many times mike ryan it's the origin of spider-man for the millennial set pre-9 everything is connected and eventually the, the ultimate universe gets bogged down by how everything connected is but it's just him being an adventurer learning how to like it's the things they keep fucking up Peter Parker in the 616, they're like, no, you're not married to Mary Jane anymore. No, you're not going to have a kid anymore. This just did it without ruining the maturity that other version of the character got. 
Exactly. Um, it was also, I've been going through old Marvel comics, like the original 60s mm-hmm. comics lately, and the big thing that Ultimate Spider-Man did is those comics are have so many fucking words yes. and have so much happen in one issue. And Brian Michael Bendis, who sort of fashioned himself the master of comic book dialogue, would have something that would take Stanley one issue would take Bendis 14 issues mm-hmm. of Ultimate Spider-Man to get through. And I loved it. Bendis now, today, for me, is borderline unreadable. But I just 20 can- years can change somebody. Yeah, I just can't take the banter. And part of it is, it's unfair because part of it is so many people have fucking copied him. Right. Have bitten his style that I'm just over it. But back then, my goodness, was this a breath of fresh air. And he really focused on Peter Parker. Like, and his drama. He Peter Parker dates and ruins so many girls' lives. Uh, he's a real fool, and it's great. Yeah, I mean, the original... He's, Spider-Man is the original comic book character I read, as as did you. Um, you got into some, you got more plot with yours because you jumped mm-hmm. in the middle of the clone saga. But the reason I fell in love with the character was because there was more about his dates and his job than there were about supervillains. And we've talked about this so many times, you and I, because it, it's a clear lead to our third love after movies and uh, TV shows based on comic books, the OC. Yes. They barely talk about their superpowers and supervillains on the OC, and it's all about the relationships. They do. There are multiple episodes about what their superpowers would be, though. So. Yes. But yeah, I guess that counts as barely. All right, let's move on. That right there is enough for 2002 to have Ultimate Spider-Man blowing it up, Mike. But does this look familiar to you at all? This oh, is, shit. Okay. This is Batman number 608 by Jeff Loeb and Jim Lee. And it so, says, it begins here. I'm going to guess... Because Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale is the Long Halloween stuff that this is Hush. This is Hush. A storyline that is now not fondly remembered. And I think it's like, they always will be like, Hush comes back, as they all do a bunch of times, and it's lame. But I still, I guess I haven't read Hush probably in 10 years, but I loved it. Yeah. And it gave me the same, Jeff Loeb is good at the, there's one main villain, but you have to fight your way through the entire freak show that is Gotham until you get there. I mean, he. I guess he's good at it, but he's definitely frequent Does at it. that. <laughs> he's he's done that about six or seven times. Um, I this is a book that I read probably much later than two thousand two in a Barnes and Noble, where they will just they have no choice but to let you read their books for free, and then you get like yogurt stains all over them, and then you have mm-hmm. to you just put them back on the shelf and you get to leave. Um, and I remember being a little confused as to why this swept the world and why I had to read it. I wonder if, like, an iconic new villain hadn't been made in so long. And and Hush really did, for whatever reason. Like, he was big enough that people watching the trailer for the Matt Reeves Batman, they're like, I bet the Riddler's really Hush. And I was like, they're not going to take one of the real OG villains and turn it into a newer guy. That's yeah. stupid. But, like... Which but, is, that speaks to how comic book readers think, is that yes. Hush, who came out in 2002... Is a newer guy because yes. <laughs> every everybody else that we read is from the 30s or 60s. Ah, this young buck from 20 years ago. <laughs> That's why I also think I'm a young man, Ryan. I think the other problem, if I remember correctly, and again, it's been a long time, and we did no prep. Yes, we did no prep. Um, is that the whole thing is a mystery as to who Hush is? 
Uh-huh. And we're going to spoil a bunch of 2002 comics tonight, folks. So uh, buckle in. Um, we get to the end, and it's a person that we've never heard of before that was, I think, made up for this. And you, yes. you sort of want it to be the Riddler. You want right. it to, like, of all this cast of characters, who is it? And you're just like, oh, it's some guy. And, yeah, maybe Thomas Elliot was referenced in, like, 1972's issue sure. 649. Like, who? I, I don't know that shit. But... I don't. I, I think he's peppered in, right? He can't be. I'm gonna go home and reread it now. Like, did you say that he's peppered in or he's pepper in? Do you think Hush is pepper in? That's why it blew my mind. That would have been crazy. <laughs> and she like it's all drawn like Jim Lee does it, except her <laughs> face is drawn exactly like the cartoon peppered in. That's fucking horrifying. <laughs> uh, I wonder if this also had a problem. Um, with so many of these things, like the aforementioned clone saga of, are we still in this storyline, bro? Mm. Like, what happened to the good old-fashioned to be continued and concluded in <laughs> next month's issue? Uh, but yeah, a super big deal, and I wouldn't be surprised if Matt Reeves is a fan. This seems exa- this seems perfect for Batman, the Batman too. Yes, the Batman as well. Two thousand one brings us origin number one and it uh, at the very end of 2001 it falls it folds into 2002 and the finale is in 2002 huge huge sales numbers for marvel mike do you know what the fuck this is it looks very familiar i recognize the name kubert uh-huh. i can't be saying that right am i it's it's kubert kubert is the little <laughs> alien who would jump down so the, the artist is kubert uh writer is paul this- jenkins Wolverine, I have no idea. Yeah, this is Wolverine's wow. origin story. Um, Finally, wow. Yeah, and that was the thing is that they kept... Paul Jenkins is also the creator of... Uh, the co-creator, and this is Jenkins and Casada who wrote this. Jenkins and Casada also cooked up the Century faux history. Oh, they, so, so they loved digging deep into the backstory stuff. Digging Birds. deep into the backstory, but also like, should we be doing this? Are we little devil, devilish boys? Yes. Um, and there was a lot of run up to this of like you're you're gonna ruin the character we haven't even read the book yet but just on like by virtue of the fact that you're doing this you're gonna ruin the character one of the few times where people complaining before they even read or see the thing actually makes a little bit of sense because how important was wolverine's lack of origin to wolverine you know it was it was a big deal yeah huge deal the, the mystery was all about it and because there could be so many versions oh you think it's this you think it's this and we never got back far enough to know what it actually was. Right. And then eventually this would be a regular series by, I want to say Daniel Way, who was doing like Deadpool at the time. Um, and that was just, you know, different adventures, sort of like the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, but for uh, Wolverine. The Young Wolverine Chronicles, he's just jumping on trains. I think that's a cool idea for a story if it's like this issue is with Alpha Flight, this issue is with Weapon X, this issue is in Madripoor. Without, uh-huh. like, filling in some of the blanks of the past without filling in the literal, like, the right. first days, like, exactly Here's how what I was happened. born. Right. Um, I believe, it's been a while since I read this, but I believe the big twist is that um, this family has this maniac, mangy, barely human, like, wild dog. Oh. And I think his name is Dog. Uh, and we're like, well, that's clearly Wolverine. Um, and the... The, the mangy little kid keeps uh, pestering the like the polite genteel little boy that lives in this <laughs> house uh but the 
mangy guy saber tooth the polite genteel boy is logan whoa whoa origin is what i call it let's move on <laughs> mike you said that uh the rest of the ultimate books after spider-man fell apart you're talking about like a decade later right i yes because i liked the ultimates a lot uh and this is ultimates round one this is ultimates volume one by mark millar and brian hitch and this is dope i think it's ultimates volume three i want to say is valkyrie's there like there's new characters they don't explain how they got there scarlet witch and quicksilver fucking they're fucking everybody turns into the hulk on one mission because they're like well realistically if you could wouldn't you make everybody do that and you're like yeah but come on guys i remember Uh, reading that and it was like watching the simpsons today it's like what just end it what are we doing and that's before the blob eats wasp and that's ultimatum in ultimatum Uh, that's the ultimato but this this is why this is the house that the mcu is built on yeah, I, there's an argument that says that Ultimates Number 1 by Mark Millar is the most consequential comic book of the 21st century. It it gave us uh, the th- Thor of people are like, is he a god? Is he just a crazy? Uh, it's why Black Widow and Hawkeye were such big deals and S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. like It, it blended them in. Also, Nick Fury is not white. Nick Fury is Samuel Jackson. They asked him, he went, yeah, that's cool. And then years later, they'd be like, but so do you want to just play him? Like, you you have to at this point, right? I mean, Patrick Stewart looks like Charles Xavier, but that was not on purpose. That wasn't the original no. design. They were like, bitch, we're going to draw your face into this comic book. And then 10 years later, something like that, um, you'll play him in the movie, in the biggest movie franchise of all time. And then at this point, like the character was so well-loved and people knew Samuel Jackson that now in the 616 it's Nick Fury Jr. is the uh, Hasselhoff's Fury's son. Which I I understand the argument for new readers and it's less confusing for them but for me what the fuck? This is going to sound dumb or small but even just the costumes of this comic book where Captain America is wearing practical tactical clothes instead of bright, garish costumes, also helped people to see we can make a movie out of this. Mm-hmm. There's not wings jumping off his head. Right. <laughs> the, the, the way the comic is dope, the way... Uh, his head is not like Namor's feet. Is that what you're saying? His head is not like Namor's feet. Uh, the silhouettes that are here, so like Thor suddenly becomes iconic based on six circles. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, they, 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 the way they stylized and simplified everybody. Simplified is yeah, such a great term. Um, they didn't uh, introduce these characters before this comic book. Mm-hmm. That's one thing that the MCU had on them is that uh, you know we had Spider Man and we had X Men, I believe. Yeah, and then um, and the X Men were all introduced in that book. It wasn't like a let's do let's introduce Captain America in a Captain America one shot and then we'll do the rest. Like they're all here, but it is written and drawn. This is where we get the start of the term widescreen comics. Um, like an expensive movie. Like right. it, it feels like the MCU was in their mind when they made it. Yeah, they storyboarded it out. My my biggest complaint, because I do think this A doesn't stand for France, might be from this first run. Uh, they don't get Captain America. They get Captain America the way Snyder gets Superman. Yikes. Harsh. They, that does and, make sense though, yeah. And because everything is uh streamlined, this Captain America is basically Steve Rogers mixed uh Who's the douchebag from Falcon and the Winter Soldier? Uh, U.S. Uh, agent. U.S. agent. Yeah, he he's like all of them blended together. 
Although, what's more realistic, Chris Evans' portrayal or uh, in this book where a 40s, a, a white dude from the 40s comes back and is a little gruff and maybe a little racist? Sure, but that's not why I go to comics isn't for realism, Ryan. Captain America would totally be a Trump voter if... Oh, yeah, he's he got some opinions life. on voter fraud. Uh, Mike, based on that, let's let our listeners stew in that Captain America Trump thought. And when we come back, we'll get to uh, some more huge books from 2002. Mike, 2002, uh, we're coming out of a bankruptcy at Marvel at what is now considered to be a really dire time of comic book content, like the quality. The 90s is just a really bad time for mainstream Marvel and DC. Mm -hmm. So I think that there, a lot of these comic books that we've been talking about, like the Ultimates, was a way to like sort of we have to get the shit back. Uh, just before this, this would uh, was tried. To, they tried to do this with something called Marvel Knights, where we're gonna do some darker, grittier shit that's actually good, like well written for adults. I think that 2002 sort of marks the the point where they realize that this is not an ever changing group of 14 year olds that are reading this. Right. The people who were 14 who started reading this in the 90s. They will be our only readers till they till they die, and then we'll have right. nothing. It's like cigarette companies now. Like this is our last group. So when they die, that's it. So do we. <laughs> yeah. Um, Was that a tontine? And whoever's the last to die gets all the comics. Uh, that's. I mean, now I'm gonna stop smoking, so I can stay alive for that. Um, that. So that's what's going on with Marvel and DC. I do want to talk about some other companies, um, some smaller companies, because 2002, Mike. Is probably like comic books. I'm not a kid. I don't want to see wham, bam, and thank you, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> Good job for to both of us. Uh, I want to like get serious with some adult shit. Uh, do you know what this is? It's why the last man is this adult th shit. This is some adult shit, and this isn't Brian K. Va so Brian K. Vaughn and Pia Guerrera are the creators. Uh, this isn't Kayvon's first one, but this let's just not even talk about Ex Machina ever as a society. Uh, this book is dope. Wait, hold on. Is Ex Machina like looked down upon now? I reread it at the beginning of the pandemic, and man, is it lame. <laughs> wow. I, to me, it's always been like this hole I need to fill on my reading list, but I can skip that. It is so the 2000s, and they, they, they make it so clear in the comic that, like, if Republicans, Democrats could just hold hands. Mm. But see, that's the kind of thing that really works for a 15-year-old. You're like, this is, I'm, I am reading serious adult material. He's independent, and I get it. Um, but Why the Last Man, um, this is where I think that we gave BKV his status of king of the single issue. Um, mm. Because this book was, the first time I read it, impossible to put down. And if you... Only had one trade. Like, let's say you were you had trade four, um, and five you didn't buy. It's still at the store. You're putting on your pants, and you're getting back to the store after you're finished with uh, trade four. Like, you need to know what happens. And your pants were off because you had to masturbate because it was so good. I just I read comics uh, in bed, so I as was comfortable as possible. Yeah, sure. But also, I was obviously masturbating. So, imagine you're the last man. Yeah. That would be great. Not seeing how horrifying it all is. I didn't. Um, I didn't read this for a long time, and I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what the plot was, and I thought the title was asking a question. Why the last man? Like, why did you do that, the last man? Um, but no, it turns out that this was a. Explain the story. Explain the premise. Uh, poor Yorick 
and his monkey ampersand are the last two males after a virus unleashes and kills every male of every species except for them. And so he is running around looking for his fiance, Beth, who might have just left them uh, right before the pandemic hit. And he runs into all these different new societies of women and scientists and secret agents. And it gets so big and bananas, but it always stays awesome. I have a one of my tattoos is because of this comic. Really? I have an ampersand on my body. It's not the monkey. It's the symbol because of him. And that's because of the monkey. Yeah. Huh. I did not know that. We should talk more. <laughs> People say, especially our wives, that we don't talk enough. Um, yeah, I'd like so new and I think the one of the main points when I was reading it is something that you hit on is that um it was this slow build of you know, this is also very um what do you call it, decongested, like Bendis would do, not like Stan Lee would write, where oh yeah, not a ton would happen in one issue, but it would sort of trick you into watching this entire world build over the course of the hundred issues or whatever it was. Yeah, panels and panels go by very, again, like cinematically. 60, 60 issues, sorry. Where you're just watching 355 in York and, and the, the rotating cast of characters see the world, like, and just not talk. You're just like, nope, I I know what the city feels like now because they let it last for three pages. I think the reason that Vaughn's dialogue holds up so much more, like, I can reread why, and uh, I can reread Williams, and I can still go on with Saga is mm. that it's incredible dialogue, it's incredible banter, but it's not as stylized. Right. So it's not as annoying. Like, the back and forth that Bendis characters get in um, just seems so old school now. Well, Bendis went to the school of uh, Smith and Whedon. <laughs> okay, yeah. The pussiest gun company out there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that Whedon, and this isn't just because of, you know, um, new things that we've learned about him as a person, but even reading stuff like, uh, what's the X-Men comic he did? Astonishing. Uh, reading Astonishing. Like, I, I was like, I was blown away when I read that as a kid thinking, finally, superheroes talk like me and now it's impossible not to roll your eyes when you read it. Yeah. Because teenagers are goddamn annoying. Yeah. Anyway, that is why The Last Man, uh, a huge, huge comic book. Oh, uh, because of our other job, um, this finally, after what felt like decades was turned into a show. Um, you've talked about that show on our other podcast, but mm-hmm. like, I don't know if I've ever seen you more excited for longer because yes. you, you had to maintain that excitement for I was years edging years. for 15 years. Um, got canceled after one season, but did the one season that you get live up to what you would hope for? No, but at that point I'm old enough that I didn't think it would. It, it was fine. Parts of it were really good. Most of it, it was fine. I don't think York held the weight of this sh- show on his shoulders that well. But it also, like, the way they invented some new characters uh, focused so much more uh, on the on York's mom who becomes a president and then her political stuff. And, like, that they handled that so well. Again, I did not know this one. Amber Tamblyn is a phenomenal actress. And, like, she was such a great villain as a like twisted post-apocalyptic Megan McCain. And there, there, I think there's a lot, I, I wish there was a second season cause it could have become amazing. I just, I'm now remember like who played York's mom? Diane Lane. Shit, I haven't talked about Diane Lane in a long time. 
Where would I even have a format to talk about her? Where would you? I I'm sorry, Ryan, that uh, nobody gets to hear you wax poetic about Diane Lane. Uh, for those who don't remember the beginning of this particular podcast, we talked about how uh, Mike ruined our show on the movie Unfaithful, starring Diane Lane, where I did have a platform to talk about her, and it has been taken away, absolutely deleted and massacred to the evils of mistakes. Do you want to do one really, more? Really, I listened back, and the way you drooled over Diane Lane was so uncouth that I was like, I'm, I'm bombing this show. She is pretty. She's so pretty. Uh, you just kept saying that. Let's do one more before I am furious, <laughs> furious about uh, even more than about that show. You said uh, that Bendis came from the school of Whedon and who? Smith. Let's do this one. Um, Mike, can you tell people what you're looking at right now? Uh, it is a Spider-Man logo, just you, you know that classic circle that sometimes you can shine out of flashlights in very old school Lettering, it says, Marvel Comics, Spider-Man, and the Black Cat. And then Felicia Hardy is bent over in half to show everybody her butt and her cleave all at the same at time. At the same time from the same angle, here's my butt and my boob. It's definitely like a sorority pose, but drawn comic style. This and, is uh, this is a variant cover from the book uh, Spider-Man and Black Cat, The Evil That Men Do, yep. which the first issue was written by Kevin Smith. Uh, in 2002. Uh, did you read it? Do you remember it? I, I remember really, really liking it. I don't know if I could stand by it today. I remember really enjoying it. I, I liked Kevin Smith comics back in the day. The uh, the Evil of the Men Do, Quiver was his Arrow one. I liked Onomatopoeia. That was his Batman run. And he, I think he turned down his movie dialogue a little when he was writing comics. Which is important. I that, yeah, like I I thought it was all cool too. Although I'm I haven't reread it, and I'm sh- nor have I sure that I would have different opinions now. Uh, you watch Chasing Amy lately? That's a hard movie to get through. Because um, that was for years. I was like, well, that's the one that holds up, but it probably doesn't either. Yeah, like there's parts of it that are so earnest and try hard that you have to like them. But just the change of like how politics and we talk to people since then, mm-hmm. it makes it really hard. Um, but. Spider-Man and Black Cat, The Evil That Men Do, uh, number one, came out in 2002. This is the begin, Maybe this is the beginning of Kevin Smith's, uh, I'll write whenever, I'll write the issue whenever. Um, I think that he had an, an actual mental problem, um, like a block or something that was causing this, because uh, this series wrapped up eight years later. Um, oh, wow. Uh, six issues in eight years. And really? He, he would constantly comment about, yeah, so if you read this in trade, that's a part of the history that you don't know about. I don't think they're going to mention that in the trade. You're just going to get all the issues. <laughs> the editor's gripes at the end. Yeah, just like, hey, just so you know, this is a pain in the ass. Um, but yeah, like he would talk constantly about how guilty he felt that he would start something that is known to be a monthly. Like the, yeah. the, the, the how comic books come out is pretty well known by most people. Uh, he would start it. Uh, why they would ever release an issue without having all the issues in their hands is crazy. That's bananas. But he would uh, you know, talk about how guilty he felt and then continue not to write them. And to me, that sounds like there's some sort of like yeah. mental thing going on. The guilt just builds up and then that's what you're used to. Or it's so important to you, like writing it can never live up to how much you love the character in your head. Yeah, I could see that, just crippling him. Um. Let's just do one more because there's the companion piece to Y in my head. Um, same company, 
came out, number ones came out in the same year. This has not had a TV show about it. Although, has it? Mike, do you know what we're looking at right now? Okay, it took me a second because this is a variant or just imagery from it. This is Fables. This is Fables, yeah. It, it also just doesn't have the title on the picture that we're looking at. Most comic Love books Fables. will have the title yeah, at you, the top. You get a Hugh Jackman type, a Patrick Dempsey type crawling out of a wolf skin, uh, a monkey and a pig in a tree, a monkey with wings. Little boy blue and his little trumpet. Snow White eating nap in the middle. Fable. I fucking loved Fables. This had. I was just getting back into the comics now. Yeah, that Fables and Why the Last Man were starting. That's the kind of stuff that sucked me in. Yeah, for sure. Um, this is Bill Willingham is the writer, uh, and the penciler is shit. I'll look that up. Very famous name. I'm just totally blanking right now. Um, but uh, yeah, this was. This is the kind of mystery. This first six or 12 issues, whatever it was, of Rose Red and the murder mystery. That was yeah. everything that I wanted from Hush. And then it continued for years. Some people say that it did jump the shark. Uh, there's a huge battle with a big bad that I'm actually not going to spoil for you. Um, I Oh, yeah, because I got to that, and then it continued, and I think I fizzled as it continued after that big battle. Yeah, um, the adversary was his... Secret name until we found out who it was, and then it was good. You know, it was it was it was still good after that. It was solid, um, but that first those first sixty issues I will put against any other book. Oh, I just want to go and read all these comics now. Uh, so this, yeah, we haven't explained every fairy tale oh, yeah. myth you've ever heard. The characters are real and living with each other in Fable Town, which is a secret burrow in New York uh, it's that only they can get to. Mondays. Uh, like me and you, we have a case of the Mondays. Uh, we can't see this giant city that exists mm-hmm. in New York. Um, and they're all there. Was this turned into a TV show? Well, uh, they were. Disney was going to buy the rights to it and then went, wait, fuck that, and then made Once Upon a Time. They, were, they realized they're stealing all of our characters, so we can just steal all their characters. And, uh, yeah, did not pay the people who put this idea together of, I bet all of these people would live in the same town. Because, yeah, that, that, that was basically, I think that they had them in upstate New York, which is the farm in Fables. Um, I don't know. I confused this with Sleepy Hollow. Uh, I watched, like, two episodes of all those shows when they came out and then fell out. Yeah, because once the novelty wears off of a poorly or, like, mediocre show, then you tune out. This was yeah. this had the novelty, but it was also incredibly written. And, and the art was so distinct. And, and beautiful. Yeah, and I remember um, all the painted covers, but also each page, you know, in the white space would have more art. Usually you just have the six panels or whatever, and then it's the white space around the panels. Mm-hmm. But th- the artist would draw more, so it, it, it gave it this more of like, I'm opening up a children's book feel. Oh, yeah. I didn't have it. It sounded like I had more, but I was just, oh, yeah. Okay. Um, Land Medina is... That's what we're looking at for the artist? That doesn't sound right. Anyway, Mike, um, let me go through them one more time. Um, Ultimate Spider-Man and the Ultimate, absolutely crushing the uh, sales charts. We have Mm -hmm. Batman Hush and Wolverine Origin. Both uh, sort of similar stories of something happened in this person's past. Let's turn it into an unraveling mystery. Um, More Kevin Smith. That's sort of just on here as... A joke. And then uh, the two books that helped us transition from children to mainly comic book readers of Why and Fables. So I ask you, 
is 2002, one of the most instrumental years in the history of comic books. Inarguably. And honestly, I don't want to besmirch the origins and the legends. I would rather read any of these than the 1963 Marvel shit. You aren't lying, brother. Let me tell you what. <laughs> um, you know how we said that BKB is the master of the issue? Like, you have the single issue, you have to go get the next one. Uh-huh. If you're reading a Stan Lee trade, you cannot to read the next one. You finish one issue, and there's no way you could read the next one. He ends every issue with like a giant. And here's a metaphors that I didn't really put in the comic, but now I want to show I had. And so I'm going to talk to you straight, reader. Here's me, Stanley Excelsior. Yeah, there's a lot of Excelsior. Um, Mike, thank you for taking this uh, journey, nostalgia journey. Like, I think that we're both going to spend the rest of the night reading comic books. Yeah. I have plans with my wife. They are canceled because I'm going to go out and buy Fables and Why the Last Man. Besides Kevin Smith, is there anything you don't recommend? I, you could probably skip Origin too, but all of these other things, this is your Christmas list. Yeah, and even you don't like Hush, I do. We should both read it and talk about it. Maybe not record it, just talk about it. Fuck you. <laughs> I'm not going to fucking talk to you and not record it. That's true. People want to hear we what we say. Head over to Patreon if you want to hear all of our just normal conversations of like, oh, my bowel movements are a little funky these days. Do you think I should go to the doctor? We have a ridiculous amount of 2002 movies left to cover for this season. Uh, Mike will probably take over. Although, if you don't want that to happen, write in, um, use social media to social at us and tell us that... P.O. Box. Oh, the social media. Okay. Tell us that Ryan rules and Mike drools. I think that's the most succinct way to tell us what you're thinking. It's a medical condition. Ruling? Yeah, it is. And I do it well. (laughs) You have too many midi-chlorians. And as always, keep reading those comic books. (laughs) 